Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Today's podcast is sponsored by June's Journey. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game which transports you into a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance set in the glamorous 1920s. You'll play as June Parker as she embarks on a quest to solve her sister's murder. But that's not all. You'll let your imagination run wild as you get to customize your own luxurious estate island with expensive gardens and beautiful buildings. So, can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On, the podcast about other podcasts and also about journalism, pop culture, true crime. And this week, a list of our recommendations for what to read, watch, and listen to this fall. And joining me to do all of that is the host of the These Are Their Stories, the Law and Order podcast, my true crime co-author and real-life husband, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Well, thank you for the plug, Rebecca. Oh, you're welcome. I'm on it, too, so. Yeah, well, (laughs) I try not to mention that, though. Just make it like it's mine. Also joining us is journalist, true crime author, former defense investigator, licensed PI, and certified cat lady, Laura Bricker. (laughs) Hello, Laura. Hello, and I got many more cat photos this week, Um, so thanks, everyone. Everybody. People send you cat photos. They do. They tweet cat photos. Uh, you know, Mark at the BBC was excited that he hurt himself last week. And so he sent me more cat photos of his cats. So, yeah, I, I get everybody's cat photos now. It's awesome. Now, we did get a couple of tweets this week, one from one listener, and then a bunch of other people piled on. Once again, berating us for mispronouncing your name. So, Laura, would you like to just weigh in and give us the definitive pronunciation of your name? And then maybe Kevin and Toby could give it a try. So, how are we supposed to say your first name? So, take Tara, like Tara, and add Mm -hmm. an L, Laura. Laura. Go ahead, Toby. Laura. See? Good job. Y'all got it. Laura, you guys right? You're doing better than my husband because we're 15 years in and he still says Laura, so. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's Laura, but like I just sort of like kind of lazily just kind of go off and I'm going to be honest. It. I know it's Laura too, but I hear Toby say Laura and I hear you say Laura, Laura and, and then I think, kind of... am I fucking this up? Like, is it supposed to be Laura? It's our so, fault. Well, in the moment, I find myself just conforming with the crowd, you know? I feel like a bunch of teeth that just the braces just came off and we're not wearing the retainer. And it's like, we're good, but in a couple of weeks, everything is crooked again. <laughs> that's uh, that's what happened to me. You guys can just call me Al Bricks if you want. I mean, we can just make it a lot easier. We can get rid of the whole Lara altogether. Um, no, we can't. We have to keep at it is what we have to do. <laughs> and finally, it is our favorite sports-loving super dad, the hyper-talented, always cynical, acclaimed noir novelist, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Top of the morning to you. <laughs> <laughs> now, Toby, you may have noticed I'm trying to modify our introductions to you a little bit, not call you things like wet blanket or negative <laughs> Nelly, because we've also gotten a lot of negative feedback about bullying you. Just find lot of <laughs> I don't know, one email? <laughs> yeah, it's, I, that shouldn't be enough to push the needle, though. But I secretly am worried that Toby's, like, sister-centered or something. <laughs> so. No, Toby, your sister's pretty mild, right? Mild? Maybe oh, not. She's, she's, like, she's like, yeah, she's laid back. Laid back. But she'll still, she'll go to the mat for me if, it, oh, that's if it's good. necessary. Yeah. yeah, so part of me was sort of worried about that, so I figured I'm going to rewrite these, you know, just do them a little differently. So yeah. we got another piece of feedback this week around Toby, and I'd love your take on it directly. Um, a listener wrote to us to say that she loves it when you read the Amazon items that our listeners have purchased using that link on crimewriterson.com, but she doesn't love it that I've moved it into the show. She says, quote, I am not enjoying the comments and laughter interrupting him. So what do you think, Toby? Do you mind the comments and laughter as we interrupt you in your uh, product readings from Amazon.com? Well, it's like the difference between a studio recording and a live album, right? So I I feed off the energy of the crowd. It's not going to be quite as precise. Yeah, when you hear Freebird, you don't want to hear it just like 
the same note for note on the album. You yeah. want to hear some embellishment, right? It's more about capturing the moment. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, next week we will have some Amazon items for you to read, Toby, and uh, we can test that out and see if the magic is still there for us and uh, not for this listener. Does that sound good? Yeah, that's fine. I'll, I'll feed off the energy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, one more piece of audience feedback. We have gotten a tremendous number, and this actually is more than one, telling us to listen to the podcast Up and Vanished. So we are going to check that out this week. We're going to be talking about it next week. So listeners, if you're waiting for your homework assignment, listen to a little bit of Up and Vanished. You don't have to catch all the way up. Just get a flavor for it if you want, because we're going to be talking about it next week. Up and Vanished. Is that like from somewhere down south? That's like how, like how I imagine they would say it. I have no idea. Beat us up yet. and vanish. <laughs> Way to be xenophobic about other regions of the country. I'm not Kevin. xenophobic. I loved Alabama when I visited there. I'm becoming more xenophobic about just going on Reddit after the week that I've had. Um, Why go to Reddit? Well, honestly, I love Reddit. I love it, and I even love people were reacting to our episode last week about the Anand Syed case and, mm-hmm. and the bail hearing and our analysis of it and. I shared it on the Serial Podcast subreddit and on another subreddit, and then somebody shared it on another subreddit that's called Serial Podcast Origins, which is primarily populated with, like, pro-guilt people, mm-hmm. which is fine. You know, I actually, like, really like a lot of those people. A lot of them are really interesting. But they're A lot just, of them are respectful, and they're Oh, they're most cool of them are respectful. About, yeah. There are, like, two, though, yeah. that just hate me. <laughs> so oh, depressing. no. Toby knows what I'm talking about. Yeah. Toby has seen this before in person, right? Yeah, I've jumped in a few times. <laughs> yeah, don't bother anymore because I, I've really come down to it like the ones that hate me, it really doesn't have anything to do with me. <laughs> just, they're working doesn't. out their own stuff. Yeah, so I, I'm good with that. I also just wanted to read one quick <clears throat> listener email because I loved it so. This is from a listener named Anna. She starts, by the way, by saying this he, This came to her because she was walking around in her local Whole Foods, which is like another world. Uh-huh. And she heard our theme song, the Harlem Nocturne from uh, New York Sky Jazz Ensemble playing on the speakers over Whole Foods. Their version of it. Yes. Yeah. And, and, it, it, and it reminded her to send us an email of appreciation. And here's what she said. I think you guys will like this. 2016 has been a bad year for me, with six months of it taken up by cancer and chemotherapy. Oh. While I had other side effects that were more serious, one annoying issue I had was difficulty focusing on things like podcasts. But with chemo behind me, I'm happily catching up on things now, your podcast included. So thanks so much for your great production and for all the recommendations you've made, even as I wonder if I will ever get caught up. Question for the panel. What are your hopes for the next season of Serial? If Sarah is sticking with true crime, I'm hoping for a look at the West Memphis Three. I spent two years of my childhood a couple counties over. She explains why she's fascinated by the case. But this P.S. is really important. Mm -hmm. P.S. Laura said a while back that she couldn't punch the defense lawyer for making a murderer (laughs) because he'd had cancer. Can I do it for you, Laura? (laughs) There you go. Yeah, absolutely. I kind of think having cancer doesn't excuse a person from being a decent human being. And if we define decent human being as not coercing a confession from the minor you're supposed to be helping. So, yeah. So this listener, cancer survivor, is offering to punch the cancer-stricken Len Kaczynski for you. Did you say how she's doing? How she's feeling? She says chemo's behind her, so I'm hoping that means she's better. Yeah. Yeah. Is that a nice email, That is really great. It is really great. That's great. I think we should do a GoFundMe to get that lady on a plane. To Wisconsin. <laughs> For punching? For punching. <laughs> so I guess you could say, no, no, no. I am also a fellow cancer survivor. This is how I am affirming life. <laughs> Pow! <laughs> you go, girl. I basically loved every single thing about this email, but also it raised a question. We haven't heard any news about Serial Season 3. You know, we have a podcast that is sort of originally built on us talking about Serial, so... You know, I sort of have secret aspirations that somebody will tip us off, but <laughs> it hasn't happened. Yeah. Do you guys still have any hopes or, or dreams for what Serial Season 3 could be? What about you, Kevin? I, I don't think it'll be true crime. I actually don't think it'll ever be true crime again. I think it will be some kind of investigation. It, it won't be another murder mystery because they've done that and they can never top that. And I think that if you were... Sarah and on that team and you thought about it long enough you wouldn't attempt to do that again because there's no way you could ever top it what do you think Toby you know trying to anticipate what it is is tough I do think and I was thinking about this in relation 
to In the Dark, which we're going to talk about. And a lot of people on Twitter said, you know, it's even better than Serial. And and trying to figure out what was it about Serial that made it a little bit different. And I think a lot of it comes down to the relationship between Sarah and Adnan, which really hasn't been replicated in any of these other podcasts, I think, which is, I I think, part of what made it compelling. So I think my hope would be that there would be something that whatever they do, the connection is close enough that there's some emotional resonance with it that I think was somewhat lacking in the Bo Bergdahl one. So I, I guess that that's, mm-hmm. that would be my hope rather than like a specific topic. What about you, Laura? Well, you know, last time when we discussed this before season two started, I, I mentioned the Gardner Museum heist. I still think that's a really interesting case. But I would like something that was like a really twisty, turny story, like somebody that's leading has led like a double life, you know, something that's really just kind of an, a story that's going to draw you in, you know, in the dark was definitely, I felt like a big message kind of podcast. And, and that's good. But I feel like Sarah is more adept at she's storytelling. And so I, I would like some sort of a really good story. All right. Well, speaking of really good stories, Kevin, I need you to say something to which I can add some echo. Are you ready? Oh, yes. Okay. Yep. Can you throw us a mystery <laughs> solved, please? Sure. Mystery solved. At least I hope so. Laura, (laughs) everyone wants to know the answer to a tease you threw out there a few weeks ago when you mentioned that you were once taken into custody. (laughs) This week, I put a poll out on Twitter and asked our audience, why was Laura Bricker arrested? The results, we got 340 responses. 1% said murder. 5% said double murder, 38% said drunk and disorderly, and 56% said felony hangry. (laughs) So do you want to finally fill us in on what actually happened? Okay, I can do that. And I'll say felony hangry we're going to eliminate because that's a new phenomenon in my life. So um, I'll start by saying this was something that happened when I was in college. And after it happened to me, when I went down to the court to resolve this, I was just horrified. And I went down and they said, oh, this is everyone gets this. This is totally fine. So I what was, was it um, chlamydia. Yeah, no, no, it was <laughs> it was not that. And, and I wouldn't announce that at the court. So back in the day in college, you know how you carried your backpack of beer around or whatever you were drinking around campus. And yeah, um, when I was in college, so this isn't going to be as exciting as people are expecting. When I was in college, you know, it was like every weekend somebody drew the stick to carry the backpack. And it was my weekend. And we just happened to be coming out. I think we were at a party. Yes, we were. We were at a party where we had to jump out a window because the police came. It was very exciting. (laughs) There was like a mattress that they had put by the door so that the sound wouldn't go in the hallway. And then everyone's like, the police are coming. And I had this friend who was like really short and we had to like heave her out the window and we're like running along. And then lo and behold, there's the police. And I had put my backpack down. But of course, I went clunk, 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 clunk. (laughs) And uh, so, of course, he was like whose backpack is that? And everyone like scatters and I'm standing, they like, they left me there. All my friends deserted me. And so I took the hit for everybody and uh, got the underage possession. So it wasn't Uh, anything that exciting. And actually everyone I knew pretty much had that charge at some point. But was it actually your backpack? uh, It wasn't even my backpack. There may have been some of my alcohol in it, but the worst part was like, I'll never forget. Like I was like, I was trying to make up this whole story and I was like, no, it's not my backpack. I don't know where that came from. (laughs) And the cop had these gloves on and he like takes his gloves off and he goes, you better not be lying because I don't like liars. (laughs) (laughs) Who does like liars? Who's going to be like, I love a liar. Please lie to me. (laughs) Now that you have all this defense experience, if you could go back, what would you tell your college self how to deal with that officer and pointing to this backpack it could be anybody's backpack. I don't think I would have responded to anything he said. I think I would have just shut up and not said anything instead of trying to explain my situation and come up with an excuse and come up with the, like I would have just mum's the word. You don't Mom talk to the cops. Mum is yeah. the word. Mum is the word. One eight. What is it? Call Sal. Yeah. <laughs> Better call Saul. Saul. Better call Saul. Yeah, no. I, it's I, Sal, I would, Laura. Sal. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Here I am mispronouncing somebody else's name. All right. Well, we just got a lot covered. We solved a big mystery. Do you want to say it again so we can? Uh, oh, yeah, sure. 
mystery solved. I would say that mystery has finally been solved. I mean, we really have gotten a lot of correspondence about it. We read that wonderful listener email. We did get some other really interesting feedback this week that I'm hoping to wrap into next week's episode. So keep your emails and voice memos and tweets coming. Crime Writers on at gmail.com. Now, I want to spend a few minutes talking about the podcast we've all been listening to, In the Dark by APM Reports. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the series through episode eight, and Madeline Barron, the host of that podcast, had promised a final episode, and we all had big hopes and expectations for it. So let's talk about that final episode. Um, In it, Madeline talks about many of the unanswered questions that remain after Danny Heinrich's confession about kidnapping and killing Jacob Wetterling. So I want to start with one of the things that she brings up early in the podcast, and that is the plea deal that Danny Heinrich received. We hear the prosecutor saying that he had no choice other than to offer it to Heinrich. Basically, he was not charged with the murder of Jacob Wetterling, and he has a sentence where conceivably he could be released at some point, and that was what they offered him in exchange for his confession. So, Laura, given what we then hear in the rest of Episode 9, what do you think of the plea deal and of the fact that they don't seem to be looking at Heinrich for any other crimes? I mean, I was amazed when I heard how much stuff they found in his house that was really suggestive that there was more to this than just Jacob Wetterling and just Jared. It's Jared, right? The other victim that escaped. But I mean, I can see them. This is like, well, you know, at the time, if they're negotiating with his attorney and his attorney is like, well, he will, you know, it's a dance. So maybe this was, they felt like the Jacob Wetterling case is the case that they wanted to solve. They wanted to know where he was. This took priority and they kind of, the other ones were just sort of a wash in terms of pursuing any other cases that he might have been involved in. But when I heard all of the stuff they found in his house, like the clothes and the videos, and and then when they went out and scoured the newspapers and found that he actually had been a suspect in these other, you know, of the creepy driving around in the car and freaking Mm -hmm. people out cases. Following paper boys. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty disturbing to me, but I didn't really get a sense. It didn't sound like there was any other missing children. It just sounded like there was a lot of pretty sketchy situations that he had been involved in. What did you think of that, Toby, this idea that the you know prosecutor felt hamstrung, that there was nothing else they could conceivably do, and then Madeline lays out all of this other stuff that they didn't do? Like, for instance, talk to anybody ever that Danny Heinrich knew, hung out with, or worked with. Right. I guess I can sort of feel for the prosecutor a little bit in that, you know, I, I can't imagine he's really impressed with the police work that took place. My guess is that he was like, let's just get a conviction, declare victory and move on because this whole thing has been so screwed up. That, that's kind of what I got out of it. It, it must be frustrating. And, and who knows how much he was aware of what was missed. But, it, you know, it seems to me that it would be frustrating to be working with people who so clearly were not competent, especially at the time when it would have been actually helpful for them to be competent. The whole thing with deal making with with me and what I was really kind of confused about was that obviously Madeline Barron doesn't have access to the files. And she said that, that they're still sealed, that she's had to do a lot of this digging on her own. I don't know what situation Danny Heinrich was in that they felt like they had to make such a compelling deal with him, like so immediately that they couldn't say, you know, we have this and we have this and we have this. And why don't he just have like a really good lawyer? Like that's that's really what what kind of came out to me was like, who was representing him? What was the case they were making for making this deal? I don't know that that's something that I would like to know more about. Um, I I have a question for you, Kevin, because Madeline sets this up by saying that Everybody involved in this case from the prosecution side to the police. And we do hear tape of all these different people saying that he was basic. Danny Heinrich was basically a criminal mastermind. He committed crime. He never told anyone. He buried the body in like a place that nobody could ever have found. And Madeline ultimately makes the point that he wasn't in any way a criminal mastermind. There was just nothing done to, you know, dig up some of the stuff that they could have dug up. And Listening to that tape of all those prosecutors and the cops talking about that, it actually reminded me of some conversations we've had about people we've written about and that they were so good at this. And that's why they kind of like weren't caught for so long. And it made me kind of go back and question some of that language that we hear over and over and over again. Like this was a, a different kind of criminal, that this was a 
what do you think? What did you think of that entire thing that she threw out there about about them saying that? Yeah, uh, we you're right. We often ascribe the success of a criminal to evade capture and prosecution to their good fortune or to their skill at just not getting caught. And we don't accuse the prosecution and the investigators of being incompetent. You know, where I I have heard that, you know, people sit, you know, sort of bad mouthing investigators are the families of victims in cold cases. Not always, but on occasion it happens. And I, I can see why, because, you know, they put their faith and their hopes in some detectives that they will resolve this. And when they don't, they feel let down or or that they could have done a better job, however it goes. But we tend to think of them as outliers. And so when these cases don't get solved, it's just because there was no luck, as the sheriff said. There's not enough clues. So her, her last statement was just sort of like there are just failed investigations. The reason that people aren't captured or arrested doesn't have to do with the fact that they were smart enough to elude police. It was just that the cops were not smart enough to catch them. That's um, you know, that's a a novel way of looking at it. It's not in our culture. It's not the way we perceive that kind of crime. Right. And it actually reminds me of a conversation we were just having at a party. Now, one of the downsides, Laura, you I went don't to know a party? This, <laughs> we went together. <laughs> oh. I don't know if this happens to you, Laura. Uh, one of the downsides of sort of being with other people that you don't see a lot is that they just want to know about like what murders you're interested in and <laughs> like in what cases yeah. you're talking about. One of the cases that we get asked about a lot is the Stacey Burns case, if that's one we would ever want to write about. Oh, yeah. The Mother's Day one. Yeah. Yeah. And for our listeners who are interested, there was actually a, I believe, a 2020 episode about this case, and it's been written about in some newspapers and so forth. A uh, woman who was a school nurse in Wolfboro, New Hampshire, very, very beautiful community in New Hampshire, where actually the Romneys have a home, was murdered by like a very vicious stabbing in her bed while her teenage children and all their friends were in her home. And they basically have two suspects in this case, two main suspects, a recently ex-boyfriend and her ex-husband, her soon-to-be ex-husband. I can tell you that Kevin and I, maybe not necessarily with this case, but other cold cases, we've talked to investigators who've told us, we know who did it. We just can't arrest them. Yeah. You know, so you sort of know that, like, they know for whatever reason. And it does make you think, like, why aren't you making this your job every single day, all day, <laughs> if you know? Of course, there are resource issues and so forth. But um, and I'll tell you, parenthetically, in that case, we have seen Stacy's family, her brother, her mother, March on the state house. That's right. To go to the governor's office to demand that something be done. Right. And, and so that's got to be way more frustrating than the who done it, where you just have no idea. That's what this yeah. episode made me think about because the words that law enforcement uses, we were dogged. This has been our singular like focus. It's not actually true because if it were true. They'd solve the case, you know, and I honestly haven't thought of that before. I haven't thought of it in that way before. Does that flip your thinking any at all, Laura, or is that just Kevin and I? No, because I've been involved with cases like that, too, as a reporter, where there's like they know who did it, but they don't have enough. And I think what it is, is sometimes I think it's not necessarily that they're not trying hard enough. It's that legally you have to have a very specific type of information in order to actually bring a charge against somebody. So they may not just be able to get every piece of information they need to bring the charges, even though, you know, they're 90% sure that this is the person that was responsible. Because, you know, if they did bring it when they didn't have all the information, you know, a good defense attorney is going to get rid of that right away. So it's kind of like they wait until they have everything they need. But it is frustrating. I mean, we had, and I talked about this at one point when we were doing one of the missing children's cases, you know, we had this Tammy Belanger case in Exeter, which is, uh, you know, a case that people, it happened in 1984, a girl that went missing on her way to school, and uh, people still can't talk about it. And they know who did it, but they didn't have enough to get him on it. There was one detective who worked on it for years, to the point that everybody who knew him said he really just kind of burned out to the point that he moved to like a little small town and just couldn't deal anymore because he had really invested so much of his life trying to solve this case. But it is frustrating. And in, in this Jacob Wetterling case, I felt like there was definitely enough information out there that they could have done more. 
So, Toby, I have a question for you. Now, there were a lot of twists and turns in Episode 9. You know, we heard about the court scene with the confession and that perhaps there were some things in the confession that weren't true. And then we have the whole, you know, stash of things at Danny Heinrich's home. And then we have the tracking down of his friends. Then we hear about this adult in Danny Heinrich's life who... um you know, some sort of horrible sexual abuser. And then, of course, there's the journey to find the burial site where they actually use data and maps to sort of figure out where the burial site was. And they go there. And she talks about the red jacket having been exposed the whole time. And there's just like a lot packed into this. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about the way Madeline told the story in this episode and with all these twists and turns? Did it work for you? Yeah, I think so. It was a good final episode in that in addition to sort of thematically tying things up, she did shine a light on how Heinrich could have become the way he was, sort of more about what he was like, the influences that were on him, the weird stuff where he and his buddy would go and do Peeping Tom stuff. I thought it was good. I thought it, I thought it ended up the series very effectively. Wasn't this the one where she, she said we're going to do an extra episode? We didn't think we were going to do an extra episode, but we are. And this seemed like a crucial extra episode to me to kind of tie up a lot of loose ends and, and kind of fill in the story so you have a better understanding of some of the people involved. Now, Kevin, we got one piece of feedback from a listener who said they felt the one thing that was missing from this episode was revisiting the Wetterlings at the end. Oh, yeah, okay. Would you have wanted to hear from the Wetterlings again? Well, we had been sort of hearing from the Wetterlings throughout. I'm trying to remember, none of the uh, interviews that they did with them were after Danny No, Heinrich's. my strong feeling yeah. was that all the Wetterling tape was from before his confession. I think she, she indicated and, that and, at and some point. And then she spread it out over time, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it would be interesting to hear a little more about if the idea about we're going to cut this deal with Danny Heinrich for the sole purpose of bringing closure to the family and closing the case... Well, then I think it's important to find out, well, okay, what do you think, Mr. and Mrs. Wetterling? You know, is there a measure of satisfaction? Are you happy with the fact that you have learned who Jacob's killer was and he's been brought to justice? I think it's an important question to ask. Maybe they wouldn't talk to her after. I I don't know. I think she probably would have mentioned the reason why, but they chose not to. She and her team instead chose to focus on the hypothesis that Danny Heinrich was this master criminal and that there was no way that investigators over the past two, three decades could have ever tracked him down. And by reverse engineering things, we find out, yeah, well, he took a job. And from the first day he took the job, he liked telling people about how he'd been investigated. Right, right, right. You know, all these other things. Yeah. The whole master criminal trope seems to me to be kind of BS. It seems like a convenient thing when you're having a hard time finding somebody. I, I don't know. How many master criminals do you actually hear of who are super smart and had the police running around in circles? You know, there, there's maybe a couple of cases, but in fiction, the entire, you know, mystery section is just full of these like hyper smart criminals who are also serial killers. And I don't think there's a whole lot of real life basis for it i mean i think people i think people get away with stuff sometimes out of dumb luck sometimes because there are instances where you're not going to leave a lot of evidence i don't think you know whenever i hear like the whole criminal mastermind thing the bs detector like starts to light up a little bit (laughs) yeah no i don't disagree with you on that and i think that when you hear it in this podcast in the final episode, you know, we hear a couple of the prosecutors and so forth saying at all these different press conferences, knowing what we know now, having heard everything that she laid out, you do realize it's just something that they rely on. It's, a, it's something that they can say in press conferences that makes it so that that question won't come again. And so does, by the way, you talked about asking the Wetterlings if they had closure That's another thing that prosecutors rely on in press conferences. They say, we did this for the family, so the family could have closure. I don't think they're insincere with that. Well, you know, I'm not saying it's necessarily insincere, but that's why I think I would have liked to hear the Wetterlings answer that question, whether or not they actually have closure. Because, you know, are they also negotiating with the family at the same time they're negotiating with the bad guy? So are they saying to the bad guy, you know, we'll give you this if you do this? Are they saying to the family... This is all we can get if you're willing to take this. 
You yeah. know what I mean? That's absolutely what they do. What do you think about that, Laura? Is that a fair yeah. thing to sort of ask that question about? You know, in cases I've been involved in, whenever there's any sort of plea deal, they have the victim witness advocate going right back to the family. And it's a lot of times the family's response is sort of what holds something up if they are adamant that they are not going to agree to something or they get up at the sentencing hearing and they actually say, we did not agree with this sentence, but they told us this is all they could do. So, you know, I think it's good that they include them in the discussion. But, you know, in terms of in the dark, I feel like for me, I I guess I wasn't expecting to hear from the Wetterlings again, because I felt like we started small and, you know, to borrow something from season two of Serial, we've really zoomed out into the bigger picture. And so I feel like when we zoomed out, I almost didn't expect to hear from them again, because it seemed like the focus went more from them to more of this bigger picture of law enforcement and how they operated and how the sheriff's department was just not good at their jobs. And it seemed to kind of take a bigger picture look at this case. Now, Madeline's statement that all unsolved crimes are failed investigations. Laura, do you think that's too broad? Is that an unfair thing for her to say? Ah, boy, that's a tough question. Um, They are failed because they weren't solved. But I I would add to that that they weren't maybe necessarily solved by lack of trying. It's just some cases, maybe it's just no matter what you do, you can't find the right information. So yeah, they are failed because they weren't solved. I mean, I think that's fair. But I think the intent is what you have to look at. All right. Now, this is the part where we usually do this one thing. And I'm going to ask you all to do it now. We've listened to nine episodes of In the Dark. I know we've all enjoyed it a lot to varying degrees, but it's over now, <laughs> as they say. Wah, wah, wah. So, Toby, I'm going to start with you. You know, as a whole, in the dark, nine episodes, beginning with the Jacob Wetterling case, zooming way out to law enforcement issues about the sex offender registry, and now wrapping on this ninth episode with all of uh, this new material that she's uncovered. How would you grade the series overall with a letter grade? And can you briefly explain why you are assigning that grade? Yeah, I struggle because I feel like I'm giving a lot of A's recently, but I I thought it was really good. I think it was a good combination of storytelling. I think she was able to relate this case to a bunch of, you know, law enforcement issues, and I think there's a good tone to the podcast, I think. So, I would give it an A. I thought it was, you know, top rate. You know, I'm going to go A as well. I think this is one of the best podcasts we've listened to since Serial. I loved her delivery style. I loved the way it was set up. I loved the fact that it tied into a bigger issue and really made a point and proved that point about this bigger issue of law enforcement solving a certain percentage of cases. I loved the use of music and I thought it was just really well done. And it was something that when you finished, you felt good that you had listened to it because you actually learned something. I'm going to give it an A for all of those same reasons, and I'm going to add on the reasons that I loved her transparency in reporting. I loved her bringing other members of the newsroom into the story and explaining how they were doing what they did. I love how she explained how they found the burial site, you know, how they used data for that story about closure rates. And I also just found Madeline, now keep in mind, like I've met her a little bit on the phone, but like I found her really likable, which I know is not something that you necessarily need to enjoy a story. But when you're going to commit for many, many hours, it's helpful when somebody is somebody that you kind of want to be telling you this particular story. So I'm also going to give it an A, leaning towards A+. plus. Hmm. What about you, Kevin? I'm going to give it an A-. minus. That's not to me that I didn't like it as much as you guys. I'm just being consistent with my grading. I did like it. I did like the transparency. If there was one, you know, sort of weak part, I thought the episode when we're getting into the sex offender registry and some some of it kind of uh, dragged a little bit and kind of sort of zoomed way far out. While the other stuff really did grab me, and you know, it had the gumption, the gall, the spunk, the moxie to go after a, an idea that the cops were not as smart as they thought they were. Were those compliments from 1952 that you just threw in the spot? Yeah, podcast? yeah. That was good. She was smart. She, you know, and she had gumption. She had gumption. <laughs> By gumption. 1938. Yeah, but you know, again, the like, I don't know if I agree with her statement that they're just failed investigations. That might be too harsh, but the idea that you would go there is pretty good. You know, I, I will have to give her credit for, you know, wanting to go deep to like figure out whether things get covered up you know to get right to the root of the problem <laughs> to just see 
the color of things. I feel like I feel something coming. You're telegraphing this a little bit. I'm (laughs) waiting. Which is why I think that everybody would like Madison Reed. Yeah. Madison Reed has a simple mission to make luxurious at-home hair color with ingredients you can feel good about. Okay. (laughs) Go on. I'm sorry. I've got these new progressive glasses that it's hard to like. Do tell. I have to like look at the script like all this weird way. Okay. So, you know, the really cool thing about Madison Reed is that not, not only do you get very shiny, beautiful hair, but the ingredients that they use, they're all natural things like nutrient rich carotene and argan oil and ginseng root extract. It's not stuff like parabens, uh, ammonia, PPD. I don't even know what that stuff is. You don't know what carotene is either, though, Kevin. Just be totally honest. <laughs> it's just like from a carrot or something, right? <laughs> Madison Reed is the first ever six-free permanent hair color. It's free of ammonia. It's free of parabens. It's free of all the other gunk, including gluten, that you don't want to be putting in your hair. And they deliver a salon-quality color in the convenience of your home. I did a little test myself. Check out like what the hair color I might like would be, and I did the test, and I think Messina Brown. Nice. It's a, a dark, cool brown with a blend of cool ash. I have my box Ooh. upstairs. I'm going to give it a shot this weekend. Yeah. Wow. I know. I'm excited. Toby, do you think like if you uh, ordered from Madison Reed, you'd go like Redhead? Or what do you think you'd do? <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe a sepia. I don't want to you know, put you on the spot, buddy, but you are looking a little gray. <laughs> I'm looking tremendously gray. I just got a haircut. <laughs> what was scattered around the chair was not pretty. He's distinguished. He's, he's distinguished. He's distinguished uh, AF. AF. But when you were 21, what, what color would have that hair been at the barbershop? What color would that hair have been? It was kind of a, uh, I don't know, a light brown. I think of you as a towhead. I think if he was like a was corn silk. It all went dark. That's why I think Venenzia Brown would might be a nice color for you, Toby. That sounds really nice. Experience beautiful, healthy-looking hair color with over 40 shades to choose from. Their online color quiz guarantees 100-shade match. Find your perfect shade at madison-reed.com. Try it. Love it. Satisfaction and happiness guaranteed. That's the beauty of Madison Reed. Find your perfect shade at madison-reed.com and get 10% off plus free shipping on your first color kit with code WRITERS. That's madison-reed.com. Check out code WRITERS. 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 Why do you do that? I don't know. I can't help I've it. I've been meaning to ask you that for months. It's like a tick. We're going to have to solve all the mysteries tonight, okay, Kevin. Okay. Well, another mystery solved. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So anybody have a good idea for the name of this next part of our podcast in which we just tell our listeners what they should be reading, watching, and listening to this fall, like some sort of media roundup name? Anybody? I, I got one. Ready? Can you put some echo on? Yeah, go ahead. Do, do what, what we say. We <laughs> <laughs> I like it. All right. So for this edition of Do What We Say, we are just going to be talking about some of the stuff we're enjoying right now. We're not assigning this as homework. We're just going to be giving some recommendations. We've gotten a lot of feedback that our listeners like it when we do this once in a while. And we're going to start, you know, we all have a bunch of stuff in various media, but let's just each start like with a TV show, shall we? Laura, what are you watching right now? So I uh, I just binge-watched Game of Thrones finally. So I was kind of in a lull after that. I was, like, feeling depressed. I needed something to watch. And I just started watching Good Girls Revolt. And it's an Amazon Prime video streaming original series. It's been called the newsroom version of Mad Men. Set in New York in the late 1960s. Uh, cultural revolution sweeping the free world, according to the promo. So it's about girls that are working in the news of the week, a.k.a. Newsweek in real life. It's based on a true story, actually. It makes me so mad when I'm watching it, but yet I keep watching because basically the men are the reporters and the girls are called the researchers, but they do all the work and write the stories and then the men put their names on them. It features uh, the author Nora Ephron. Um, She lasted one week before she quit. That's a spoiler, but um, it's pretty good. (laughs) It sounds like Anchorman, just not funny. There are some funny parts. Parts, but it's definitely makes you think a little bit, but it's it's got light parts as well. But it's definitely for me who gets fired up about like fighting the man. I don't think I would have lasted there. Now, I've heard that Good Girls Revolt on Amazon Prime is great. Kevin and I have been watching another show on Amazon Prime. I'm just going to throw it out there now as my TV pick. And that is Goliath uh, starring Billy Bob Thornton. It is a noir 
drama on Amazon Prime. It is about a fallen alcoholic lawyer going up against his old firm that he founded on a big corporate case. It is very stylized in a way that I really like. Kevin and I were arguing the other night about whether or not it was evocative of Veronica Mars. I think that it is, even though it's Nothing like Veronica Mars in terms of tone. It's just a lot of, about the, the visuals. It takes place in California in a very dark way. A lot of it's it is California shot noir. It is. It is just really, really fun. It's the kind of show where, excuse my language, like shit happens in episodes where you're like, wait, what just happened? In really unexpected times and places, it's got some amazing cast. It's got uh, Molly Parker, who was in Deadwood and House of Cards. It's got Maria Bello. It's got two ex-losties in it, the judge, Harold Perrineau, and... uh the young woman who was on Lost when she was a teenager. She's Alex Russo. I forget the actress's name. Yeah, yeah. It's just really good. We're really enjoying it a lot. We've been kind of binging the series the last couple nights. So. It features William Hurt. Yeah, William Hurt in a, as playing a super duper creepy character. And William Hurt's penis. <laughs> With a full frontal scene. That's true. That's true. Oh, anyway, I really recommend it. A listener recommended it to me and I am passing it on. Goliath on Amazon streaming. Now, Kevin, is there a TV show on your list? Yeah, it's something I've been watching for uh, a long time, but I want wanted to bring people's attention to it because it's on in a new time slot and it's on Comedy Central and it's the quasi game show called At Midnight. Yes, one of our favorite shows. And the host is Chris Hardwick. You may know him as the host of the Nerdist podcast. He's also the host of Talking Dead, which is the Walking Dead uh, after show. And if you're, say, familiar with the NPR quiz show, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, where you have a panel of three comedians playing sort of a fake quiz show game, answering questions about the day's news. This is very similar. They have three comedians answering questions about what was on the Internet that day, and they're different different segments, including the hashtag wars, where they'll have 60 seconds to come up with as many hashtags on a certain topic, like ruin a movie in one word or candy bands. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's yeah. silly, but people play the games on Twitter. It's really fun. It's a fun show, and we've actually discovered a lot of comedians by watching the show. Yeah, it's really fun. And the reason I bring it up now is because it used to be on at midnight, uh, but after the Larry Wilmore show went off the air, Comedy Central moved it to right after the Daily Show, so it's on at 11.30. So if you don't DVR it like we do and watch it at, at your convenience, you might want to catch it after your local news. So, Toby, what are you watching on TV these days? When I take a break from election coverage, <laughs> uh, a listener from across the pond, uh, I can't even remember what we're going back and forth on on Twitter, but he suggested I check out Father Ted which is a British show from, I think, the 90s, but you can get it on YouTube. And it's about these three priests. They're kind of banished to this sort of desolate island off the coast of England, I think. And uh, it's it's very British humor, but it's very funny. It's very clever. All right. And to just to round out our, our TV picks, I will say Kevin and I have been watching Westworld on HBO. It's very interesting. It's very intriguing. And it's really fun to talk about. So listeners who want to talk about Westworld, hit us up. We'll talk about it with you. Uh, let's move on to books. Laura, what are you reading these days? I am not reading anything, but I'm looking for something to read. I've been kind of in, on the hunt for a good new mystery crime kind of book. So I reached out to my local booksellers. We have a really great independent bookstore downtown in the town I live in. So Jill and Steph down there are always on the cutting edge. You know, like last weekend, I had to get last minute present for my son to take to a birthday party. I'm like, quick, I need a football book for kids that's good for this age bracket. And they like went immediately to the section and gave me a book and it was awesome. So for what I asked for, they gave me uh, Tana French's The Trespasser. I just started um, that. Okay, so the Washington Post calls her the most important crime novelist to emerge in the past 10 years. And it's based on Detective Antoinette Conway and her partner, Stephen Morin. It doesn't sound like there's anything interesting going on in their life. And then they get a new case. They think it's just like a lover's quarrel gone bad. But it seems like there's okay, a lot more. Not, no spoilers. Okay, so it seems like there's a lot more going on. So that's the first one. Um, I, that's, that's just from the book jacket. It's no, no spoilers, Toby. The second book that they are getting a lot of interest in is called The Woman in Cabin 10 by Ruth Ware. It's reminiscent of an Agatha Christie story. It's about a journalist who's a travel writer, and she's um, 
out on a cruise ship, very exciting, a luxury cruise ship, not like a carnival cruise. Somebody falls overboard and she sees this, but the problem is that all the passengers remain accounted for and nobody will believe her that she saw somebody fall overboard. So it sounds like it's got a lot of good twists and turns. And the third one is a debut book, a debut thriller mystery from Joe Ide called IQ. And it was described to me as the lead character is South Central LA's answer to Sherlock Holmes. He's a loner, a high school dropout, brainy badass, clearing up the cases that the PD can't crack. And apparently this book is getting a lot of social media chatter and a lot of attention. And it's just called IQ by Joe Ide, and that's I-D-E. All right. Now, I should just say at this point, we are going to put links to all our recommendations on the post for this podcast. So go to crimewriterson.com, click on the episodes tab. And when you open up the link for this episode, you will see links to all of the media picks that we have, the segment that we're calling what, Kevin? Do what we say. (laughs) I'm just going to throw something out there because a listener told me about it and I'm loving it. I am five books deep into the Inspector Gamache series by Louise Penny, a mystery writer who writes about basically very warm, cozy, awesome, comfortable, beautifully written, super literary mysteries that take place in Canada. There's a lot of like Quebecois culture in it, a lot of food culture, a lot of like weird English versus Canadian stuff (laughs) and I am loving this series loving 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 it so that is my book pick is Louise Penny's Inspector Gamache series Toby what is your book pick I'm going to recommend A Place of Execution by Val McDermott uh, which is a very atmospheric mystery story about a girl who disappears from a small English town in the 60s I just thought it was really top rate it's a really good book. Val McDermott writes a series about, I think, somebody who investigates serial killers, which I, I just kind of steer clear of those kind of, those books. But uh, her standalones, I think, are really good. And uh, this, I think, is the best of them. And if you do read it and uh, want to tweet at me, I have some thoughts about this as it relates to some other books. You've got some thoughts, some Toby I've thoughts. Got, I've got a few thoughts. All right. Now, um, you have a podcast on your list, Toby. What is the podcast that you want to recommend? It's called How Did This Get Made? It's a very funny podcast. It's sometimes three, sometimes two comedians, and then they get one or two guests. And they pick these like terrible movies, and they all watch it. And then they do sort of the deep dive into the movies uh, and are kind of like, you know, they're about an hour long. So they go out the plot, the actors, the the set design, the the concept and the, the the people who are regulars are all very funny. The guest is it's a little uneven based on what the guest is, but I find them like endlessly entertaining. If you want to get a taste of it, they have one that's on uh, the movie Zardoz starring Sean Connery. Um, <laughs> it, that's that's hilarious. And then if you like that, then you can sort of delve into their other offerings. Now, Kevin, you have a podcast pick as well, right? Uh, my podcast is from the folks at Radiolab, which is WNYC, right? Yeah, WNYC. Um, they had a special spinoff called More Perfect, and it was a limited series. I think there's eight episodes. It's about the Supreme Court, and it takes sort of a deep look at a couple of cases that you might not have heard of and how important they were, and uh, looking at some of the, I guess, you know, stories behind the stories and some of the personalities, and it's a really entertaining civics lesson. And I think because our listeners are really smart, they want a, a deeper dive into some things that they are familiar with and to sort of look at something in a new way, I think that they really would like more perfect. It's character-driven. It's so good. It's, it's so much better than it sounds, the way that you can possibly describe it. It's very, very good. And I actually recommend it to both of you guys, too. If you haven't heard More Perfect, you should check it out. All right. Well, I actually have some podcasts that I haven't started listening to yet, but I'm looking forward to. This week, Gimlet Media, home of Startup and Reply All, announced its slate, what they're calling the fall season of new podcasts, Ooh. which, by the way, I find interesting that they're sort of programming their podcasts almost like network TV. There are three of them that they announced. One of them is a drama with A-list actors, like really A-list actors. But the one that really stuck out to me is a podcast called Crime Town, 
which apparently is all about stuff that goes down in Providence, Rhode Island. Hmm. Now, as this panel might be aware, Providence, Rhode Island is sort of widely known as the most corrupt city in the country in, uh, in terms of just like stuff that's happened there, what the mayor's been like in prison Buddy there. Buddy Sianci get reelected from die? prison. He did die yeah, <laughs> recently. <laughs> He's legendary. People talk about Chicago and corruption. They got nothing on Providence, Rhode Island. So check out the new slate of podcasts coming from Gimlet. You can go to gimletmedia.com slash fall season. Of course, we'll post a link to our picks on our website, crimewriterson.com. Now, Laura, you had your three books and you had your TV show. Is there any other recommendation you want to throw out, audio, video, or otherwise? Uh, that's it for now. I mean, I'm going on a vacation, a grown-up vacation this weekend, so I'm going to download some books and, uh, you know, chill out. What about you, Toby? I see you have a film on your list. You want to like tell us what that film is and uh, why we should watch it? Okay, so this is a documentary. It's called Fire in Babylon. It'll probably come as no surprise to you that it's about sports. Um, <laughs> it is actually about cricket, which is not a sport I, I watch oh. very much. But now but you will. It, it, it's really interesting. So it's about the West Indies cricket team <laughs> in like the – 70s late 70s early 80s and this is the time when bob marley was at his peak and there was you know sort of social unrest in in that area and it's about how the west indies cricket team which had always been considered you know fun to watch but not real contenders how they they went on sort of a talent hunt and and turned themselves into this great team and dealing with racism and the after effects of colonialism as they play you know England and they play Australia it, it was fascinating and got me like temporarily really interested in cricket but there's really no outlet for that in the United States. Go to Central Park. Fancy. So I don't think you need to like cricket necessarily to enjoy the movie but it is a good sort of you know social movement type documentary when you started describing it it sounded a little bit like the bad news bears and then you got into social message <laughs> but that's no, a little bit very, what it it's sounds very much like. not like the bad news bears it's right. like, but it's it's definitely worth watching what's the name of that film again fire in babylon all right well that wraps it up i think for our new segment that we are calling do as we say. How do we do what we say? Oh, do what we say? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, do what we say. And once again, you can find a full list of all of our book, podcast, TV, and film picks on the post for this podcast episode at our website, crimewriterson.com. Kevin is going to write up that list, and it's going to include lots of really handy hyperlinks. Oh, do, okay. Right, Kevin? Yeah, I'll take some notes. (laughs) (laughs) All right, now it's time to move on to my favorite part of the show, a little something I like to call the Crime of the Week. College student Hunter Jobbins is a victim of an automotive break-in, as much as one can be a victim when they've actually left the doors to their car unlocked. (laughs) On the day before Halloween, Jobbins returned to his car after leaving it for just 15 minutes and found that the Kit Kat bar he'd left in his cup holder was gone. Give me a break. In its place was a handwritten note. I see what you just did there. (laughs) The handwritten note said, Saw Kit Kat in your cup holder. I love Kit Kats, so I checked your door and it was unlocked. Did not take anything other than the Kit Kat. I am sorry and hungry. That's what the note (laughs) said, and there's proof because Jobbins shared it on Twitter. So did the break-in make Jobbins feel violated? Sort of. Uh, He says... When I came across it at first, I was kind of upset and wondering what happened to my Kit Kat, Jobbins told a reporter. Then I realized how funny it was that it happened, so my frustration turned into laughter. So the guy had time to steal the Kit Kat and then write a note. It's like Jean Benet all over again. Yeah. I I think he was stoned. He was in (laughs) slow motion. Well, all's well that ends well for Jobbins, because as it turns out, when Kit Kat finds out that you've been the victim of a crime like this, they spring into action. According to the company's Twitter account, they'll be sending him a new chocolate bar. Same thing happened to my Volvo. (laughs) No, I guess not. So here's the question. Toby, I'm going to come to you first. In the spirit of Halloween week, what candy would be theft-worthy to you, either from an unlocked car, unattended co-worker's desk, or even your child's Halloween stash? That's a fairly easy answer for me. It would be a Zagnut bar. Ooh, Ooh wow, it's exotic. Do you that's guys remember really Zagnuts? What's yeah. That? I don't even know what that is. Zagnut bars, and that's the that's the reason why I'd want to get one, because I wouldn't actually want to eat it. <laughs> but uh, it was something that I think was included in those like packs of fun size 
candy bars back in like the 80s. And so Zagnuts were always what was left at the end. The day when you <laughs> the other ones. And when you opened them up, they looked kind of like a, a, like a dried out fish stick. Oh, and gosh. So yeah. I never actually ate one. But I have talked to people about, like, oh, yeah, do you remember Zagnuts on Halloween? And they're like, uh, no. And so I just like to have one to show to people. So it's like the bullshit candy no one wants is what you're saying. Exactly. And and it's not like I don't remember ever seeing it like by itself, like at a drugstore where you could just like pick up a Zagnut next to a Reese's peanut butter cup. Mm-hmm. I think it only came in fun size. What about you, Laura? What kind of candy is theft worthy to you, either from a car, an unattended coworker's desk, or even your child's Halloween stash? Well, despite my um, resolve not to do this, I have raided my child's Halloween stash. Um, so I have taken some you receipts. Bitch. I know. <laughs> she was Don't hangry. tell my trainer I'm not supposed to be eating candy. That's so, felony hangry. Mm-hmm. It was, but or I mean, it was, it was so good. So yeah, I had to have some Reese's. I do love the Reese's peanut butter cups. Kit Kats, they were okay, but you know, m- mostly that. And it used to be the, thi- what were those mints that used to come in the little boxes that you used to get in the junior, junior mints? mints? I was a junior mint fan as well. Of course you were. They're very refreshing. It's a junior <laughs> mint. <laughs> Um, you know, what candy haven't I stolen? I mean, I went through a Skittles phase. That was bad. I moved on from that. So, yeah, I'm just trying to break the habit right now. It's kind of like crack. What about you, Kevin? What is the most theft-worthy candy uh, as far as you're concerned? I'm with Laura. I'm doing the Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. Mm-hmm. I, I love those guys. It's chocolate. It's peanut butter. It's two great tastes. It tastes great together. <laughs> One of my favorite things about you, Kevin, I'm just going to reveal something to our podcast audience, yeah. is that what I... This has happened many times over the years. Have caught you in the act of eating a Reese's peanut butter cup. <laughs> you will say, straight faced and earnestly, it's got peanut butter in it. It's protein. <laughs> <laughs> it's very true. I, th- this is how much I love the, the Reese's peanut butter. Now, I, I don't like go out to the store. I'm going to have a peanut butter cup. But like at the holidays, where it's Halloween or stuffing the stockings at Christmas or Easter or whatever, when we go to my mother's house, and she's got candy for all the kids. She has to get the Reese's peanut butter cup or the Reese's peanut butter Christmas tree or whatever because she knows that's the thing I'm going to steal and eat. Yeah. So, yeah, I've <laughs> stolen candy. I basically started a candy criminal conspiracy to get Reese's peanut butter cups. I'll say also you say the same thing with Snickers. It's got peanuts in it. It's got protein. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We should probably end it on that note. Toby Ball, if our listeners want to tweet at you about where you can actually find Zagnut Bars, what is your Twitter handle? Yeah, if they have that information, that'd be awesome. Uh, it's <laughs> at TobyBallNH. Wait for it, Toby. I have At Zagnut, yeah. I have a feeling you're about to get a deluge. We'll see. <laughs> Laura Bricker, if our listeners want to tweet to you and give you advice on how to best lie to your trainer, how can they find you on the Twitter? I'm at Laura Bricker. And which candy do you want, Rebecca? I lo- do love me the Reese's. I really, really do. Okay. Peanut butter cup. I like to eat the chocolate edges off the circle first and then leave that soft little peanut butter center That's OCD. Last. Wow. <laughs> That's how I roll, my friend. So I'm with you both on that one. No, but nobody wants the Cadbury cream egg, huh? No, no. But I also, I'm also a sucker for a Milky Way Snickers kind of situation, uh-huh, yeah. too. All right, Kevin, if our listeners want to tweet to you and tell you exactly how many grams of protein there are in a Reese's peanut butter cup, how can they find you on Twitter? <laughs> they can uh, find me at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to send me a tweet or follow me on Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. Find us on Twitter at CrimeWritersOn. Email us questions and voice memos at CrimeWritersOn at gmail.com. Sign up for our newsletter and buy stuff using our Amazon link at our website, CrimeWritersOn.com. Please review this show on iTunes, especially if you love it. It really helps us out. Before you close your podcast app, check out our sister show, These Are Their Stories, The Law & Order Podcast. You should also check out The Disappearance Podcast and DeathCast. We don't make them, but they are a part of our growing Partners in Crime media family. Our very handsome line producer is Henry Lavoie. Our theme music was performed by the New York Sky Jazz Ensemble and used with their permission. This show was recorded in Studio C at Partners in Crime Media, a.k.a. the human humidor that was formerly a closet in our basement. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. So the shape of the dog tag in Exeter 
each year is picked by the kindergarten students. Tell them to pick something what? that isn't so fucking big. Because our dog tags some years well, are like it, huge. It's the shape of a bone. Remember when it was the shape of a house hydrant? a couple years ago? Yeah. And it was like enormous. It didn't fit in like, I have these little tag covers for the dogs that don't make noise. And it didn't fit in the fucking tag cover, remember? Because it was yeah. so huge. So I was just like, fuck it. They're not to wear their dog license. I have rubbed off on you because you're swearing as much as I swear now. I was swearing before you were swearing, Laura Bricker. Subscribe now to the new podcast, Secrets, Crimes, and Audio Tape, an audio drama told week after week. It features stories about crime, love, mystery, or conspiracy with actors you know and love. Some are dramas, some are comedies. The latest episode is a thriller called Severed Threads about faith, greed, and revenge. Make sure you don't miss a single episode. Subscribe to Secrets, Crimes, and Audio Tape on iTunes, Stitcher, Wondery.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe today. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire.